Revelation chapter 14, saints. This morning we will be reading verses 6 through 13 with God's help and considering it. Please give your attention to this, for it is God's very, very word. Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and the earth, sea and springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And another angel, a third one, followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on the forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in with full, mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. This is God's holy inspired word. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Let us now pray that God would bless the preaching of his word. Join me, saints. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now. As we, Lord, rejoice that we are not standing on the wrong side. Thank you, God, that through these verses we shall see that those who are not standing with Christ, that they are, in fact, standing on the wrong side. Lord, give us Minds that understand, hearts that believe, feet and hands that obey. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. Saints, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the Apocalypse of John. This morning we will be considering three warnings and one encouragement. If you are looking for a title this morning, the title is is simply this. If you are standing with Christ, you are not standing on the wrong side. I'm sure Anthony will love that long title. If you are not standing with Christ, you are not standing on the wrong side. Number one, the first angel. This is Revelation verses 6 through 7. The Apostle John goes from, here in these verses, as we learned last week, describing the heavenly scene of the Lamb who stands with those who have been purchased from the earth to the scene of those who who dwell on the earth. And this scene that we see here is the moment just before the return of Christ. It is the moment just before the return of Christ. It is, if you like, As Christ is preparing to make his arrival. I said this in our Sabbath school. When we read these chapters and verses, we often think of them as happening happening sequentially rather than happening all at the same time. What we are seeing here 
are events that are all happening at the same time. We learned in verses 1 through 5 that those who are standing with Christ, the Lamb, they are on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. On earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. Though they be on the earth, they are not of the earth. Though they be in the world, they are not of the world. Even though they are citizens on the earth, their real citizenship is in heaven. They are fellow citizens with those who have gone before them into heaven. They who remain, they are empowered by the Spirit of God because they are sealed with His Spirit. They are sealed with His Spirit to stand, to stand with Christ who stands, to endure suffering as faithful witnesses even until the very end. These are the 144,000. They have believed in Christ. This is why they are unable to stand. They stand because they have been made new. They are new creations in Christ Jesus. They have new minds, new hearts. They have been given faith in Christ, hope in Christ, love for Christ. And they have not wavered in their faith. They have not wavered in their hope. Their love for Christ has not diminished one ounce. In spite of the hardship that they face, because of those who dwell on the earth, that is the wicked, those who oppose Christ and his church, they have not, in spite of this, they have not lost fervor in their song. Uh, It seems as though, and I'm encouraged by it, that your fervor in singing to the Lord is increasing Lord's Day by Lord's Day, Sabbath by Sabbath. Though we be small, our voice as we sing together is loud and it is victorious. And so it is with the saints of God who were suffering throughout this time and throughout all the ages. Their hunger, their thirst, their faith in God, their love for God does not diminish the power of their voice as they sing victory with Christ. Victory has already been accomplished by Christ. Therefore, they, we, are not dismayed by the power and the terror of the beast from the sea. Nor are they, nor we, deceived by the false tongue of the beast from the land. Because we and they have been purchased. We've been purchased from the earth. We and they refuse to bow our knee to Caesar. We refuse to take The mark of the beast. Instead, we have the name of the triune God on our foreheads. We belong to Christ. Because they and we are betrothed to Christ, we remain chaste, pure, faithful to the lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. They and we will not give in to spiritual adultery with the beast, which is idolatry. They and we follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2.6, Those who say that they have faith in Him ought to also walk as He walked. Walking as He walked means that we walk where He walks. Those who follow the Lamb, as Pastor Isaiah said last week, walk in the footsteps of Christ. We seek to know the path of Christ that He has laid before us. And we walk, as it were, in his footprints that he has left behind. We follow Christ. 
These are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They are the first harvests of God. The gospel has gone forth to these and they have believed and trusted in Christ for their salvation. They have been graced to perceive the infinite value of Christ on their behalf. They have been graced with new minds again, new hearts, because they've been made new creations. The gospel has gone out and they have been given ears and eyes to, to see. Ears that were previously deaf, eyes that were previously blind. To now hear the voice of their shepherd and see him and follow him wherever he goes. With great joy, they testify to the gospel, to the good news. And there is no lie found in their mouth concerning the full gospel. There is no lie in their mouth concerning the full gospel. When they tell the gospel, those true believers, there is nothing left out of the gospel. They speak on behalf of heaven. That all men should repent of their sin and trust in God for forgiveness of sin. This message of, of the gospel of Christ goes out into all the world. This is the first group, verses 1 through 5, who have received this gospel. Now we are in verse 6, 6 through 13, 6 through uh, maybe 11. And there's another group that John is addressing. In verses 6 through 11, that's what it is. They are those who are of the earth, or they are those who dwell on the earth. Remember, those who dwell on the earth always in Revelation, is even at, at, uh, throughout all of Scripture, is a reference to the wicked. Those who dwell on the earth is a reference to unbelievers. That's important as we go forward. Because John sees an angel flying mid-heaven. And this angel is announcing an eternal gospel to those who dwell on the earth. Well... If he's announcing an eternal gospel to those who dwell on the earth, he's announcing a, a, a gospel to the unbeliever. To those who have given their allegiance, that's important words that we're saying, to the dragon and to his antichrist. John says, verse, let's read it again, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, or your Bible may say those who dwell on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Now, remember, what is taking place here is this is the final moments before the return of Christ. This angel is announcing an eternal gospel. That's an important phrase. So then what's going on here? It's interesting because this may initially give us the impression that God is offering, just before the return of Christ, one last invitation, one last opportunity one final chance for unbelievers to confess their sin, to repent and turn to Christ. Because the gospel is being preached, of course. Dear saints of God, we talked about this this morning in Sabbath school. What is the gospel? Well, let's begin with just the basics. One of our, our dear saints, I think, mentally um, was reasoning well this morning, had good instincts. What does just the word mean itself? The, the word gospel. What does the word itself mean? It's a combination of two words. Good and spell. Or good word. The gospel, just in its meaning of the word itself, means good word. Or, as you all know it, good news. But, is the gospel something that can be defined? Meaning like this. 
Is the gospel something that can be said in the same way every single time or that should be formalized in the same way every single time to make sure that you get it right? I'm guilty of, of teaching that. I'm guilty, and I'm going to do a lot of confessing this morning, so be gracious toward me. I'm guilty of thinking that um, you can tidy up the gospel, wrap it up, and, and wrap it with a nice bow and say, here it is, the same way every single time. What's the gospel? Someone might say, John 3.16. To you, I'd say, amen. A wonderful verse. It gives us insight into the gospel, but is that all of the gospel? Is that everything that entails the gospel, the good news, the good word? I'm going to do another confession. Here it goes. In times past, I've, I've attempted to simplify the gospel. You might remember I would emphasize words like think, and I think they are biblically, God is holy, right? God is creator. God is judge. Some of these things might uh, be something you recall. That he has made man in his own image for the purpose of worship and delight. All true. Man has sinned against the command of God to enjoy him and, and find delight in him forever, to worship him and, and delight in him forever. Man has deviated from the purpose, simply deviated from the purpose that he's of his existence to worship God. Because of man's sin, he, in his humanity, he is corrupted. His soul is corrupted. Yes? Amen. Well, that's all that is true. Man left to his corrupted self is unable. He's unwilling to restore right communion with God. Yeah. His mind is corrupted. His desires are polluted, perverted. His actions are fueled by what, what is best in his own sight. Man does what is right in his own eyes. This, this is all true. Because of man's sin, he's doomed for judgment and eternal punishment. There's nothing that man can do to save himself from judgment. He's both deserving of it and willfully and pridefully marching toward it. All of that's true as well. God being rich in mercy, sent his son, the eternal word who assumed our flesh, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, who lived in perfect obedience to the father in the flesh for our, our sanctification, uh, offered up his life as a ransom in the flesh for our justification, rose from the dead in our flesh for our glorification. All of that true. Now, if you confess your sin, place your faith in Christ, repent of your sin, you will be saved. Paul said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, as Pastor Isaiah read this morning, you will be saved. Yes? Is that what you have believed? If so, praise God. You're saved. Those are all true statements. Is that all of the good news? If good news, if the gospel means good news, is that all of the good news? That's important. Let's make some headway, I think, this morning. The gospel is not necessarily something that can be defined the same way every single time. Although someone might say, that was a pretty good presentation. Is that all of it, though? And that's really what we're getting at this morning. And the reason why is because the angel who flies mid-heaven is preaching an eternal gospel. Is this what he's preaching to them? Who are they? Those who dwell on the earth. What does that mean? To the unbeliever. Is the angel preaching to the unbeliever this gospel and giving them one more chance to believe? We're going to see that they've been marked by the beast. We're going to see that they give their allegiance to the beast. So how could you be marked by the beast and at the same time be given a, a, a one last chance to repent of your sin to, to, to remove the mark? 
Saints, there are wonderful intricacies about the gospel. It's good news. This morning we were going through some of some of the things that are good news. Here's some here's some good news things that we don't mention often. Genesis 3:15, verse that we're all familiar with. God promises that by and through the seed of the woman, who is Christ, that the head and the works of Satan will be destroyed. Good news. Genesis 12, God promises that through the seed of Abraham, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Another good news statement. You ever include those things into your presentation of the good news? Jeremiah 31, God promises that he will put his law within his people and that they, they shall be his, he, we, he shall be their God and we shall be his people. That's good news. Do we ever mention those things in the proclamation of the good news? Jeremiah 31, God promises not only to justify his people, but to remember their sin no more. That's good news. Isaiah 53, God promises that the servant of the Lord will be chastised in order to bring us peace with God. Good news. That by his stripes we would be healed. That's also good news. Joel 2, God promises to give his spirit to nations. And saints, that's good news. And the gospel does not end with salvation. We often think, okay, I'm saved. Um, Gospel and good news is now behind me and now I need to move on to other things. Not so. Pastor Isaiah mentioned last week, the gospel should always be at the forefront of our minds. And and let me tell you why. Because the gospel is always at the forefront. Listen to this. After salvation, in 2 Peter, God promises that in Christ, we are now, because we are saved, partakers in the divine life. Guess what? That's good news. We have now fellowship with the triune God. You are now in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good news. It's before you. It's continuous. It's ongoing. As a result of good news and faith in Christ, this news keeps getting better. Romans 8 promises that for those who are are predestined for the elect, those who have trusted in in Christ, you are presently being made like Christ. Isn't that good news? That, that That God doesn't just save you and kind of scoot you and off you go now. That right now, even as you are being ministered to through the words of this minister who we believe is speaking on behalf of Christ, you are being made like Christ. We are being conformed to the image of his son. We're being sanctified at the same time, deified. We are being made like Christ. The good news, this is good news as a result of faith in Christ, which does not stop. It's it's the good news, the gospel that keeps on getting better. Want more good news? Or like they would say, wait, there's more. Psalm 121 promises that the Lord will guard you from all evil. That's good news. And that he will preserve you and preserve your soul. Guess what? That's good news. Do you include, do do I include this in my presentation of the gospel? Or do I just stop? Now just repent and believe. It's the news that keeps on getting better. And it's often the news that we, we so often neglect, but that we should become more acquainted with. But wait, there's more. In Revelation 14, the angel is flying mid-heaven. He's, he's, mid-heaven is he's proclaiming it to all the world. It's, it's a message to all the world. All of the world hears this. It's the eternal gospel being preached to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Who belong to the beast. Now, 
we have already seen the posture of those who have believed. They are standing with Christ. They're standing on that side with Christ. They are not on the earth, but they are in Zion. They stand with Christ in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now this gospel, eternal one, is being preached to those who dwell on the earth. So then what is this? Let me ask you this. Of everything that I've presented so far about the gospel, what have I missed? What what part of good news did I miss? I'm going to call her out because she said it right off the bat. Norma said this morning, judgment. With that, I said, boom. Matthew chapter 7, our Lord declares that his good judgment on the day of judgment will be mingled with a verdict of well done, good and faithful servant, and depart from me, I never knew you. Matthew 13, 41, the Son of Man will send for his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Second Peter 2, 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punishment for the day of judgment from, from under punishment. We can spend the rest of our days, I think, our Lord's days, however many there are left, Considering the gospel that is mingled with this, an offer of grace, good news, and an offer, not not an offer, an announcement of judgment to those who reject it. And both are good. I have said in times past that in order for you to understand the good news, to truly appreciate how good it is, you need to know the bad news. You've heard that before, haven't you? That... The gospel is only good and God's judgment upon the wicked is not. But it actually is. Judgment is good news. The angel who is flying mid heaven is preaching to the entire world. Judgment has come. And it is a part of the eternal gospel. He's telling all the world just before the return of Christ, judgment has come. And that is good news. Oftentimes we would say, um, I want to share with you the good news. But before I share with you the good news, I've got to tell you the bad news. I'm guilty of this. It's something I learned, something that I taught. But judgment from God is not bad news. Judgment from God is, in fact, good news. Why? How could judgment from God be good news? Because judgment accentuates the holiness of God. Judgment accentuates the righteousness of God. I think we should be clear. The gospel is not first and foremost about us. The gospel is first and foremost about God. When we think about the gospel, we often think, well, it's it's something that that... God saves me. God gives me grace. God, do- But who does it? We're missing the giver of the gospel. And we focus mo- more so on just the recipients of the gospel. God is the author of the gospel. There would be no gospel without God. And the gospel tells of God's grace and of God's holiness. 
And both of them are resulting of salvation and the other judgment, which are both good news. We are recipients of the good news. We are not the authors of the good news. The wicked, those who have rejected, those who have rejected the gospel, they are judged for their raging against God, for their persecution of Christ and His bride. And that's good news. The wicked won't escape without punishment. That's good news. God is not going to wink their eye at them and say, don't worry about it. Instead, God is going to pour out His judgment upon them. And that's good news. Because it tells us that God is good. That God is, in fact, just. The psalmist said, I I looked at the wicked and I saw their prosperity. My foot almost slipped. My foot almost slipped when I saw how well they were doing in relationship to how bad I'm doing. The the wicked seem to be doing very well in this world. And then I look at my own life and and my own suffering and and my own um, wrestling through the difficulties of this life. And I ask myself, God, where are you? Are, Are you not good? Thanks be to God, the psalmist says, and then I went to the house of the Lord. And then I went into the house of God. He is, his mind is recalibrated when he is once again in the presence of God and is reminded that no, in fact, God is good. And that the wicked will not, in fact, escape. That they will not enjoy the pleasures of this life for eternity. Instead, there will come a time when their temporal joy will be turned into eternal suffering. Why? Because God is good. Because God is, in fact, good. And we should rejoice at this good news that judgment is a part of the gospel. We must celebrate the righteousness of God who will deal justly with those who have opposed Christ and his church. Saints, when justice is executed on the earth, don't we affirm its goodness? When an earthly judge gives a verdict to the unlawful murderer, Don't we say, good job. That's what should be done. We don't say, ah, poor guy. He got what he deserved. To the unlawful abuser, don't we say, who was uh, judged correctly, don't we say, good. I'm glad that he got what he deserved. Some of us say, he should have got more. Right? To the unlawful criminal who gets a sentence of life in prison, we don't throw stones at the judge and say, what a terrible judge. We applaud him for doing what? For acting justly, for acting righteously. He's been placed in that position by God to do so. And when they don't act justly, when they don't give the criminal what the criminal deserves, we're outraged, aren't we? We can't believe that that such a person will be in a position of judgment who doesn't execute judgment righteously. Well, if we could make such uh, assessments and judgments about earthly judges... How much more the judge of all the earth? Is it not good when he gives the verdict of, of guilty to the wicked sinner? And we must not leave that out of our gospel presentation. If you don't repent of your sin, you will be judged by God. And his judgment on you is a good judgment. The person may say, well, I'm a good person. No, you are not. Reject this and you are a part of the wicked. You are those who will be marked by the beast if you reject this gospel message. And there will not be time when the angel flies overhead. The angel is not proclaiming as a way of repent now. The angel is saying, guess what? 
The time has come. You will be judged. So, is there any bad news there? It's bad for the unbeliever. Because they will suffer. Bad for them, meaning it's not going to be enjoyable. Your punishment will not be something that you love. It will be something that you eternally hate. If you do not place your faith in Christ. When your child, my, let me, when my child disobeys, their punishment is not enjoyable. But it's good. The angel flies overhead and announces, and it is an announcement, the eternal gospel. It is a, a message, yes, mixed in chapter 14 verses 1 through 5 of salvation in chapter 6 through 11 of judgment. It's both sweet and bitter. And we must not neglect either one if we are going to preach the full gospel. It's the eternal gospel because it is immutable. It is permanently valid. Those in the beginning of the chapter are recipients of the sweetness of the gospel. Those toward the middle of the chapter are they, they're the recipients of the, the bitterness of the gospel. Young ones, I encourage you not to be the latter. Do not be those who experience the bitterness of the gospel. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ while today is still today. You do not want to hear a different announcement. Today you are hearing the announcement of a minister of the gospel preaching to you. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. Receive the grace of Christ. There will be one final minister and his message will be this. Judgment has come. And it will be too late. I remember young, when I was young, and actually the gospel, I did hear it when I was young, being fearful of going to hell. Little ones, you should be fearful of going to hell. And what should you do in your fear? Who can save me from that eternal damnation? Christ can save you. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. Now, when presenting the gospel, never leave out the righteous judgment of God upon those who reject Christ. They are the wicked. And doesn't wicked seem to be a harsh word? An unbeliever is wicked. Think about this. How many of you know a family or friend who is an unbeliever? Guess what? They're wicked. At this particular time, they are wicked. Well, they seem to be a good person. I get it. Trust me, I do. They seem to be nice. I know them. I love them. I've had experiences with them. Are they believers in Christ? Then they are in the category of the wicked, those who will be judged. There are going to be, I believe, degrees of judgment. But they're still in the category of the wicked. When, to, when presented with Christ, they do not turn to him because they do not see his infinite worth. They do not see their infinite offense. They weigh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on scales. Christ on one side, the world, the flesh, and even the devil, who is the author of all of these terrible things, on the other. And when weighed out, they find greater value in, in their flesh and in the world than in Christ. They are presented with Christ and the beauty of Christ. Instead, they find the allurement of the world more beautiful, more delightful. This message goes out to all the world. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and then the end comes. And then the end comes. 
Revelation 14, 7, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment, this is what the angel has says, has come. Worship him. This is important. Worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and springs of water. Uh, people like Greg Laurie. If you listen to Greg Laurie, stop. People like Greg Laurie will say, see, God's giving one more final chance, one more final opportunity to worship God because the end is coming. No, in fact, what is happening is not a final plea, but it is this. What will all men do, saved or not saved, when Christ returns? What will all men do, saved or not saved, when Christ returns? Isaiah 45, Romans 14, Philippians chapter 2, all declare, As I live, says the Lord, to me every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. Saved or not saved? Believer or not believer? The angel is not saying you've got one final chance to praise him, one final chance to give him worship. Instead, the angel is saying the time of judgment has come. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, whether you like to or not. Dear saints, if you are standing in Christ, you are not standing on the wrong side. The second angel, number two, verse eight. And another angel, a second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink of the wine of her passion of immorality. John sees now a second angel who followed with an announcement that Babylon has fallen, twice fallen. Just as the Tower of Babel fell, and the kingdom of Babylon in Daniel's day fell. And in John's day, the Roman Empire, which was a type of Babylon, also fell. And the present day Babylon that we live in, it also will fall. Every kingdom that rises in opposition to Christ and his church, like the walls of Jericho, will come tumbling down. Remember the declaration of the saints in heaven in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The angel declares twice fallen, fallen is Babylon. And this expresses the certainty of a future occurrence. But it's expressed twice. With such, because there is such great certainty that Babylon will fall, that it is as though Babylon has already fallen. Babylon will fall. And because there is such great certainty and absoluteness of the falling of Babylon, it is as though Babylon has already fallen. What's Babylon? It's meant to represent the kingdom of Satan. America... (laughs) For those who live across the pond, often refer to America. America is Babylon. America is, its system is a part of Babylon. America itself, though, is not Babylon. You cannot point to one country only and say, that's Babylon. We've learned this before, haven't we? It's a system. It's a, it's a, it's a system of ethics. It's a system of path, passions. It's, it's those who follow the beast. Those who walk in step with his ideology. Those who walk in step with his 
worship, those who walk in step with his beliefs. It's the kingdom of Satan, where Satan has his throne. It's where Satan calls all men to come and offer worship to him. It's interesting because we can easily identify someone who is a Satanist. You worship the devil. You belong to the beast. But there are many who are Satanists who are not as obvious as an outright obvious Satan worshiper. Paul gives us some insight into these worshipers of Satan. These who belong to the kingdom of Babylon. Galatians 5.19 Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Listen to these. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Indecent behavior. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hostility. Hostilities. Strifes. Jealousies. Outbursts of anger. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, as I have told you in times past. Listen to this word. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live, practice meaning, those who live in a manner consistent Or those who live on a consistent basis in any or even all of these things, no matter what they profess, do not belong to the kingdom of God. And if they don't belong to the kingdom of God, which which kingdom do they belong to? They are part of the kingdom of Satan. There are only two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and Babylon. One will fall, one will remain forever. Those who walk in step with Babylon. Those who reason like Babylon. Those who value what Babylon values. Those who enjoy and take delight in what Babylon enjoys and what Babylon offers. They have no love for Christ and his church. They deny the deity and humanity of Christ. They deny the the messiahship of Christ. They deny that Christ truly lived, that Christ truly died, and that Christ was truly raised. They belong to Babylon. There may be some who confer or affirm all of the things about Christ, but deny all of those things in their living. They can say, yes, I believe those things, and yes, I believe those things, but belief is evidenced by action, isn't it? This is why James says, uh, those of you who say that I'm saved by faith alone. Do you not know that faith alone will not save you? Because if there's someone who is cold and in need and you say to them, go, I wish you well, but do nothing to alleviate their suffering. Does that kind of faith save you? James is saying If you have a profession of faith, but you don't live in accordance with that profession, then what kind of faith is that? I don't recognize that as being a Christ-like, a Christianity that emulates that of Christ. Because Christ laid down his life for his friends. But we would only say, I believe that, but I won't do that. No, no, no. Faith 
along with the way that you live. Faith evidencing itself by how you live is evidence that you truly belong to Christ. Someone may say, that sounds like uh, works salvation. No, my friend. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. How do you know that you have faith alone in Christ alone? It's evidenced by the way that you live in light of your faith. You know, people who say, I believe in Christ, but you couldn't tell it by the way they talk and live, could you? You have co-workers who are around you. They say, I believe in Jesus. And you may say to yourself, not the Jesus that I know. We should often look in the mirror and ask ourselves, who do we belong to? We should do serious reflection, serious contemplation. Am I walking with Christ? We should do serious um, contemplation, serious reflection. It's good for you. Am I walking as Christ walked? That's good for us. We should be evaluating our social media. Uh, We should be thinking about the friends that we have and the way that we speak to them. We should be thinking about the way that we present ourselves to others and ask ourselves, is this reflective of Christ? Am I walking with Christ? We must ask God to search us. See if there be any self-worship in us rather than worship to God alone. Any any evidence in us that shows that we are conforming to Babylon, that we are in fact in bed with the beast. We must beware. Here's why. Because the wine of Babylon, it's enticing. Babylon's wine is enticing, much like the fruit of the garden. It promises joy, but only brings sadness. It promises pleasure, but will only bring you pain. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Dear ones, beware of Babylon's wine. Babylon is the ungodly worldly power under which Israel lived in captivity. When they Israel remained loyal to their God, like Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were persecuted. When they would not prostrate themselves before the image, when they would not pray to the beast, they were thrown into a den of lions like Daniel. Believers in John's day were likewise facing similar persecution from Rome because of their loyalty to Christ. They were fed to lions. They were used as torchlights in Nero's garden. They were killed by the sword. And evil empires did not cease with Rome. But as we've learned, evil empires carry on a legacy of Antichrist, a legacy of evil. That continues to persecute Christ and his church until Christ returns. Saints. We can be certain of this. Babylon. Will fall. Babel fell. Babylon fell. Rome fell. Every wicked kingdom that opposed Christ and his church has fallen. And there will be. No difference. When Babylon falls, this time it will not rise. There will be no more legacies of evil to be carried on. It will rise only to be judged. And that judgment will be an eternal one.
Those who drink the wine of the passion of her immorality. Those who lie in bed with Babylon. They will be no more. Let, let me say to, to all of us, because we're, so, sometimes when we, when we direct our, our warnings, um, to the, to the enticements of the world, we often say, little ones, I'm talking to all of you who have ears to hear. Social media is not just, it's not just, um, isolated to the, to the younger ones any longer. No, it's to all of you. All of you who never thought that you would see a, a phone on your watch. <laughs> Who would only see that on Star Trek and on the Jetsons. Now you see it. And now you're also enticed by it. Some of you, I'm amazed at, some of you are amazed at yourself at some of the technology that you know how to use. It's not just, the younger ones get it faster than you do, but we still get it. Technology is not the evil one, but we must beware of all of the enticements that anything brings. Let us beware. Satan is using any and every kind of device to draw you near. Doing worship, family devotion with our family this week, talking about the, the temptation that, that Satan brings to, to Christ. And I was saying to my son that, that Satan brings to Christ, as he does to all of us, on a silver platter, take. But there was nothing within Christ that was drawn to it. But for you and I, there is something within us that is drawn to it. Christ could only be presented with temptation from the outside, but there was nothing within him, as we've learned, that would long for whatever was presented to him. Instead, Christ was able to see it for what it is and reject it and ultimately tell Satan, leave, flee. And when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But there is something inside of you and I that when temptation is presented to us on a silver platter, that we wrestle with it. The wine of Babylon is being presented to us on a silver platter. Drink. It will make you like a god. But you've been given the mind of Christ now. And you can now, like Christ, perceive its evil intention and the poison within. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This wine causes one to be drunk with self-pleasure. Pleasure that's not found in God, but pleasure in those things that only temporarily satisfy. Think about, think about what this church, what the churches were facing. Think about this. Bow to Caesar and you will, you will have your job. Bow to Caesar, you will enjoy financial security and prosperity. Not only this, but because you bow to Caesar, your peers will also embrace you. You will not be ostracized by them, but you will be one of them. My, my, I, 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 I heard of a young man who during his days, first days of high school, had no friends because he had nothing in common with them. And so he would spend his lunches in the men's locker room, pretending to be busy doing nothing because there were those who were around that he did not, he, did, he had nothing in common with them. In order for him to be one of them, he had to, to join, he had to join them in their sinful activities. And even though he did not participate in those sinful activities per se, 
being around them at least gave them the perception that he was one of them, even though he actually was not. That was, that was me in high school. Freshman year, me. Oh, what we would do just to be one of the guys. Bow to Caesar. Not only will you be, will you be received, but you will also preserve your life. You won't, you won't die. You'll be secure. You can, you can also enjoy and indulge in the lust of the flesh. Here's, here's what it is. You can have it all. If you just bow your knee and worship the beast. Sounds like what Satan said to Jesus, isn't it? Look at all the kingdoms of the world. Bow your knee and they're all yours. You know that, you know why Jesus didn't bow his knee when Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world? And do you know why it was not even tempting when Satan said all the kingdoms of the world will be yours? Because he's assuming that Jesus wasn't already a king with his own kingdom. Jesus is looking at him and saying, these kingdoms, I've got a kingdom. I am a king. I don't need your kingdoms. All those kingdoms will bow one day. You have been empowered to say the same thing. When Satan offers you the wine of Babylon, you can say, I I belong to a different kingdom. And I actually can see what the wine that you are offering produces. Because the wine of Babylon is actually in the midst of it. It will be the, the wine of God's wrath. Babylon thinks we're drinking a wine that is making us enjoy life. But instead, the angel flies, second angel flies over and says, uh, you who belong to Babylon, you also will drink. It's going to be a good drink. Because the gospel is good. It's going to be a mixed drink. The, the, um, the idea that, J- that John is getting across is that it's even stronger than Babylon's wine. It's Babylon's wine was just a wine. God is going to offer a wine, but it's going to be a mixed wine. It's going to be a strong drink. And here's how strong it is. It's going to be the, the, the drink of God's judgment and wrath. If you thought you were enjoying drinking back then, if you thought that, that uh, you were indulging, guess what you were about to indulge in? Guess what you will be forced to drink? The wine of God's judgment and wrath. If you are standing with Christ, you are standing on the right side. Thirdly and finally, the third angel, verses 9 through 11. And I, I really do wish I had more time for this last one. And maybe we'll spend more time just devoting to these verses in the future. The third angel comes and he announces judgment from God. The wicked believed that they did not have to bow their knee, but every knee will bow. The wicked believed that no one could oppose the beast in his kingdom, but the kingdom has fallen. What is more, those who have received the mark of the beast, who have walked in step with the beast, who worship the beast, and they, they suffer something, than, something greater than physical death. They will suffer God's eternal judgment in hell. If they believe that Babylon's wine was powerful, God is going to force them to drink an even more powerful wine. The wine of God's wrath. A strong drink again. But essentially it's this. Those who have the mark will go to hell. 
the place of the damned. They will be tormented with fire and brimstone. It's a fire and and brimstone would be a a kind of sulfur smell that, that reeks. Essentially this, they will live for eternity in unpleasant suffering. The Lord Jesus said there will be weeping there and mourning. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image, whoever received the mark of his name. We believe that hell will be continuous. We deny the theology of annihilism. We deny that one will cease to exist once they're in hell, once they're in hell, that they will go to hell and then God will just obliterate them and they won't exist any longer. Guess what? That's called rest. If one is annihilated, that's rest from suffering. There will be no rest for the wicked. There is only rest for the righteous. Because in this life, we only experience suffering. It was temporal. We were encouraged to endure. But for the wicked, there will be no rest. Because in their life, just like the rich man and Lazarus, they only enjoyed enjoyed good things. There will be suffering day and night. Revelation 20 also speaks of this ongoing suffering. That no souls will cease to exist, but that they will suffer for eternity. Satan and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 22. But it also implies that the existence of the wicked is coterminous. Meaning it, it takes place at the same time, but it has the opposite effect of blessedness. And it's ongoing. Torment in scripture is never meant to um, mean annihilation. Never. Rather, it's ongoing. It's conscious suffering. It's a word that alludes to the conscious torment that Babylon, that those who were in Christ, those who had faith, underwent during Babylon and their reign. But it also is meant to imply that Babylon, as she was undergoing earthly um, destruction, they were suffering in a sense, this constant being torn down. And so will the wicked when they are in hell. The smoke ascends forever and ever as a reminder, not just of past judgment, but of ongoing judgment as well. They will. It's not like a, a judgment that is a, a once and that's it. It's an ongoing judgment as well. And listen to this. The smoke that rises, it rises in the presence of Christ and his angels. Those who are judged are being judged, listen to this, continuously in the presence of Christ and his angels. Some may say hell is separation from God for eternity. But David said there is no place where he can escape from the presence of God. Not even in Sheol. If he made his bed in Sheol, made his bed in the depths of hell, you are still there. God is everywhere, is he not? There is nowhere where God is not, even in hell. Hell is not separation from the presence of God for eternity. Rather, it is being in the presence of God for eternity without a cross to save you. It is God's presence, absent of God's grace. Those who have rejected the cross of Christ and the grace of Christ will suffer an infinite punishment against God who is infinitely worthy of praise. 
Hell is no place where we want to be. Where is the encouragement? Verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. The father speaks, the spirit speaks. Encouraging those who place their faith in the Lord. Here's a triune. Uh, here's the Trinity here. The Father speaks from heaven. Place your faith in the Son. The Spirit says, yes. If you place your faith in the Spirit or in the Son, all that has been produced in you will follow you into heaven. What's the encouragement? That if you're in Christ, you're not standing on the wrong side. Those who belong to Babylon believe that they did not have to bow their knee to Christ, but every knee will bow. But you have already bowed your knee. Those who belong to Babylon celebrated like the kingdom of Babylon would never fall. But guess what? It has fallen. But you are a part of a kingdom that will never fall. Those who are in Christ will enjoy eternity, blessed eternity with Christ for eternity. Those who are not in Christ will not enjoy Eternity. It will be suffering for them. It will be eternally displeasurable for them. But if you are in Christ, you're standing on the right side. If you are in Christ, do not be dismayed. If you are in Christ, even if you die in your faith, you are blessed. Fear not. Do not for one second think that you are standing on the wrong side. I'm suffering. I'm experiencing pain. I'm experiencing torment. It looks like the wicked are prospering. Say, you are not standing on the wrong side. All of your standing, all of your enduring, all of your persevering, all of your fighting sin and temptation, all of your putting sin to death, your love, your witness, your hope in the midst of storm, your patience, your patient suffering, your prayers, and your pursuit of truth, they are all not for nothing. You will be rewarded. If you are standing with Christ, you are not standing on the wrong side. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray.